The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. How does a property group weather a revolution in hybrid working and a potential property slump? Those are the looming threats for Canary Wharf. Welcome back to The Exchange, a podcast that interviews CEOs, business leaders, and central bankers from around the world. I'm your host, Amy Donlan, and I conducted this interview in one Canada square, Canary Wharf's head office. Canary Wharf is a destination well known to Breaking Views readers. It's the London home of banking powerhouses, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, and HSBC, to name a few. But like many property groups, it's been forced to make important choices about its future when its tenants are fully embracing hybrid working and leaning into hot desking to allow them to reduce space. This comes as Canary Wharf, which is co-owned by Brookfield Property Partners and Qatar Investment Authority, is in the midst of a rapid expansion. It's transforming itself partly into a residential property developer and bringing hot new restaurants to the sprawling 9 million square foot estate. But this is happening as the cost of living is biting in the UK. Financial crises have badly impacted Canary Wharf in the past. So can it survive a predicted property slump? Stay tuned to hear the answer from the group's CEO, Shobi Khan. Well, Shobi Khan, very nice to chat to you today, the CEO of Canary Wharf. Uh, I'm sitting in your offices in one Canada Square on the 30th floor. Uh, I walked past some very impressive models showing, I guess, what is yet to be built in in Canary Wharf um, and, I guess, exciting plans that you have underway. So you're very welcome to the exchange. My pleasure. Thanks for having us and welcome to, you know, One Canada and Canary Wharf. Absolutely. So you are, Canary Wharf is of a lot of interest to our readers and our listeners because many of them actually occupy your buildings. And if they don't, they will have certainly had meetings here and it is obviously a financial hub So I'm kind of curious, the pandemic, you know, emptied out your buildings, uh, led to quite a revolution in the way people are working. Certainly in our office, I I mentioned I'm sort of on a hybrid model myself. Uh, I'm just kind of curious, what does Canary Wharf look like in terms of sort of the way people are working today? What is is the sort of post-pandemic working life now? Well, there's a lot there. Let me start off by saying I think um, the amount of footfall that we have now is the highest it's been in the, since the pandemic started. We have over 1.2 million shoppers through our retail malls now. So stepping back, the estate is thriving right now. The retailers are doing well. We've got an amazing roster of restaurants that have opened up. We've got a bunch of amenities that have opened up. We embarked on residential to bring residential to the wharf eight years ago. We have three uh, rental buildings that have been uh, put to market, and that was the first time that you could actually live on the estate, and they're almost all fully occupied now. And so to your point about hybrid working, I think it's it's a company culture. Each company is determining what its culture is and how, whether they want to work two days, three days, four days, a week, five days, and obviously hybrid working is here to stay, but each company is determining what its culture is. Our goal is to provide that extraordinary environment so that when they do come to the office, not only do they work in a great sustainable building and have great light and great quality of air, Um, but they've got all the amenities that they could want. So when you come here and you want to go for a nice meal, you want to go out to the bar with your friends, you want to walk along the water, or you want to use our parks, or 
go go-kart racing, now we have that in the garages, or go swimming in the middle docks. We've got all these kinds of amenities, and if I were to step back, I'd say we're on Canary Wharf 3.0. 1.0 was started 30 years ago when we made, built this amazing estate with great architecture, the infrastructure, and so forth to bring lots of great firms here. 2.0 was actually started eight years ago when the company bought uh, on the eastern side Wood Wharf. And that started the expansion of building residential, like I mentioned, for the first time. And that fruition came to uh, bear in 2020 when that was the first time that you could actually live on the estate. We're actually looking out at, at that building. That's Newfoundland. That's the tallest rental building in the entire country. That's 58 stories, 636 units. And just for our listeners, that is uh, basically a very tall white building with kind of diamonds going up and down the sides of it. And the view, Shelby, what is that? Is that That two? is basically looking down the Thames back at the city. And it's got a f- obviously phenomenal views from the third floor when you look almost right at the river level all the way up to the 58th floor with spectacular sunsets every night. And that building was only introduced to the market in June of last year. So imagine that, 636 units that have been fully absorbed you know, in a little over a year at premium rents. And that's the kind of environment and service we're providing, 24-hour concierge, great amenity space, lounge space, and actually M Restaurant is on the second floor there that provides actually food from the restaurant to residents there. And we have Club Virtus there that they get access to lots of things that happen on the estate. So my point being that that, that residential started eight years ago, and that's come into fruition now. And the next evolution is to continue building that residential. So we've got actually eight buildings more under construction on the estate. 3.0 was bringing these amenities here. And so when you think about Canary Wharf, when you look at it from the top, our amazing competitive advantage is we have access to all this water, whether it be the middle dock, south dock, the water around the crossrail station, and access to the Thames. And so how do we capture that? And so I don't know if you know, but a couple of months ago, we opened water swimming in middle dock. Now. I didn't. I was going to pick you up on that. I had no idea you could yeah. open water swimming. Yeah, so hopefully you're swimmers. And we've got a great response. We've got a lot of people on the state and a lot of people that are coming to Canary Wharf to swim there to, to access this. The water is fantastic. I've swum in it over the summer. Water's crystal clear. You can see the bottom. And so that's one, just one of the amenities. The other, go-kart racetracking. We can now go north of 40 miles an hour in a go-kart, electric go-kart in the, in the garages for, where the families want to come on the weekends or the corporates want to have a nice little outing. We've got a gym now that was built as part of the Wood Wharf expansion. Actually, last night they hosted over 300 corporate customers for a dodgeball tournament there. Oh, wow. And I think you might have uh, read that we've done this project with uh, collaboration with the Eden Project out of Cornwall. We're going to be expanding the middle dock to create steps that go down from the Jubilee Station and create a boardwalk that goes along that middle dock so people have access to water. So imagine you wanted to have a, we could have this, you know, discussion right on the water next year. People can go have sandwiches or have a nice walk during lunchtime or in the evenings. It's all to create this amenity base to your point when people come to the work or they want to live here, or they're just coming to visit here. It's an extraordinary environment. Yeah. Um, the whole tagline is, it's all here. So no matter what you need, we have over 100 pieces of art. It's the largest sculpture garden in the entire country. Obviously, that all sounds great. And one thing that I just wanted to pick you up on was something you said at the very beginning, which was that footfall was, was at its highest level since the pandemic began. How does it compare to before the pandemic? What kind of, what kind of numbers are you seeing when you compare it to a point where people were coming into this office, including myself, five days a week, arriving at 8 a.m., leaving at 5 or later? That's a great question. Um, 
I can't give you a concrete answer because we switched to traffic counters in April of last year to get more counters because we had expanded the estate in terms of the development. But what I can tell you is that the retailers that we've got here, we've got over 50 retailers that are doing better than they were in 19. Now, in terms I, of their total sales, or total, total sales, sales. sales. And so you would argue that, yes, potentially some of the uh, office footfall has, has, has decreased because you've got that Monday, Friday effect now where Tuesday, Thursdays, Wednesdays obviously is the most crowded. But we've got a residential base now that's come here. And so whatever dip you had in the office, I think, has been supplemented by the residential now. And then we haven't even talked about the Elizabeth line Absolutely. that's open. And so that's brought another million people into our catchment area to come here. And I think obviously it will help us on the office side because if you think of being an office customer, you know, you can be here in a tower and you can be in Heathrow in 40 minutes. Mm. Right? But I mean, the residential element to all of this is sort of, I, I think it's, it seems crucial to, to your sort of future plans. The, the building that we were just looking out at there, I mean, what kind of tenants are keen to, to rent in Canary Wharf? Are they, are they bankers that are you know, maybe have their home out in the Cotswolds or even further afield, maybe Wales or somewhere, and they are coming in, renting a few days a week. What kind of tenants do you do you have? Surprisingly, we thought we would get a decent amount of people that would want to live and work here. Um, it's early days, but only 30% right now live and work here. So we've got a community now that's, again, we're creating this neighborhood, which I think is vital when you talk about sustainability and the climate of being able to have, you know, have a low carbon footprint people work, but only 30%. But you've got students that live here now. You've got people that live and work are entrepreneurs. You've got people that will go work in the city, that will work in Stratford. So it's a real residential neighborhood that we've created. And yes, we've got some folks that live and work here, but it's not the majority. Okay. So, I mean, the, the picture for buying a property now, I would say in the past week, has actually dramatically changed, right? So the, the sort of financials that you need with interest rates going up, I'm just kind of curious, again, how do you sort of see that playing out for Canary Wharf and that sort of residential plan? So, you know, the people you're trying to sell to, it's much more expensive for them to, to borrow. Um, and there is talk of maybe, you know, sort of a housing crash. People are even, even discussing that. A great question. So the distinction I'd make to our readers is that we are focused primarily on the BTR market, which is build to rent. So you, in the U.S. it's called multifamily. Um, some have called it PRS here. But it's basically you're renting the flat for like a year to two years. You're not buying it. And so all the projects I just mentioned that were under construction now, they're all rental products. So in a twisted way, higher interest rates is going to actually help the rental market because if people can't afford homes, they're going to want to rent. And I think if you look at that younger generation, what are they doing? They're renting their music from Spotify. They're renting their movies from Netflix. They're renting their car from Uber. They will rent from us for their housing. Uh, and it's much more commonly accepted in like Germany, Canada, the U.S. in terms of rental market, the, how deep it is. I think the UK is just in the early stages of that, you know, sector being, you know, coming to scale. And we, we want to capitalize on that. Yeah. And I mean, Shobi, the other thing is, and I kind of started off uh, talking about this, but I was really curious how you sort of see the sort of future of Canary Wharf in terms of your office tenants. How do you see them sort of occupying their space now? And how is it different than what we saw before? Because on the day that we are meeting, there was a story yesterday about HSBC um, and they're sort of reviewing, you know, their, the HSBC tower, whether they're going to actually just occupy that space anymore, uh, which to me seemed actually kind of amazing because they, that is such a part of Canary Wharf. If you watch The Apprentice, you see the little, the zoom is often on 
Canada Square and and obviously the the HSBC Tower. So what are what are your thoughts when you kind of hear those those types of stories? Sure. So look, if you it's interesting how you know uh, the market talks. If we had talked had this discussion in the summer of 2020, we would have said there would never be another office building occupied. Everyone would have been remote, right? And then you realize that you need that interaction, you need that collaboration, you need that mentorship. So again, I said earlier, every company is deciding what its culture should be and what they want in terms of how much breakout space they want, how much collaboration space they want, how much IT that they want in terms of technology and all that stuff. But they realize that they need the office. And so the question that each company is wrestling with is, how should our office space be laid out? Should we be? How much should we be open plan? How much should be collaboration conference rooms? So they've re- realized that they need the office. Our goal, like I said, is to create this extraordinary environment around that office. Inc- I mean, in, in addition to having a great sustainable office, like we're the largest sustainable developer in the country, right? We've built more square feet of, of office and residential than anybody. We're going to create that environment, but then create that environment around that building so that they've got everything there, and that will then help each of these businesses attract and retain that talent. Because if they're going to make that commute, they want it to be where something where they get excited about being there and have things to do. Mm-hmm. And depending on what your thing is, whether you like sports or you like the arts or whether you like the water or whether you like helping, we've got something for everybody here. But is that enough when you have you are benefiting, I suppose, in some ways to having bank tenants, right? So you've got J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, um, but, but it only interrupt. Only fifty percent of our tenant base is financial. Sure. Only fifty percent. But fifty percent is still half, right? As in it is. But we've uh, we haven't mentioned uh, North Key. So we've got a great uh, site that's got planning approval right next to the Crossrail Station, where we're going to build a health life science campus. Okay. And so, I think London. Shall we, before we get onto that, because I'm yeah. very keen to hear about that, but I just wanted to stick with you uh, with this this office idea, because one of your bank tenants told Breaking Views that they see a sort of hybrid model for their staff to work in. They're going to then roll out hot desking and they're going to reduce the amount of space that they need. And I understand that your pitch then to them is, this is an amazing place, you need all the space, you know, don't go anywhere. But is that enough is what I'm asking you. Is it enough to keep HSBC here? Or when they're just looking at their their financials, their bottom line, the cost of renting a building that's half empty or they don't need, how how are you going to manage that if HSBC does leave? Can you imagine a different business coming in and occupying all that space? Absolutely. That's the whole point of creating this extraordinary environment. My analogy is what companies were in the S&P 500 30 years ago? Was Tesla there? Was Apple there? Right? Was Spotify there? They weren't there. So as the economy ebbs and flows, you're going to get companies that will grow, i.e. like health life sciences will grow. So our job is to create this extraordinary environment so whatever companies are growing and attracting talent and need space to collaborate, we will have that environment. And we will have the connectivity with the transportation, we will have the housing for that for them, and we'll have all the amenities for them, right? Because rewind, 30 years ago, if we started this, what is Spotify? What is, what is, what is Uber? Those companies didn't exist. But if you can create that environment so then people go, when I want to set up a company, Revolut didn't exist. They started in level 39 here, so right, when, with one desk. So when you're sort of imagining that the, the companies you're mentioning are all tech companies, are you sort of thinking... No, health life sciences is oh, not sure. tech. Yeah, okay. Biotech, that's the whole point of where are the emerging industries that you think that are going. It's, it's, 
We're in a cyclical economy, and you want to be able to be able to have that environment to attract those customers. So is that what you're kind of thinking? Absolutely. Is that the Spotify's of the world will, will, it's, will make it's, Canary Wharf their home? Whichever companies are growing, and so right now I think health life science is a great industry to go after. Absolutely. And we've already got an incubation here. Genomics England is here. NHS Transformations here, MHRA is here. Mm -hmm. So we've already got, BARTS is here. So we've already got the incubation of creating that things. And like we did for FinTech with Level 39, we think we can do that for the health life science sector. Okay. And so Shelby, another thing obviously that happened in the past few years was Brexit. And you had a tenant to the European Medicine Agency that I think moved to Amsterdam, wasn't it? So they obviously, you know, left that space. And we're hearing again, lots of banks saying that they're having to move people either to New York or to Frankfurt and Paris. Again, how, how has that all shaken out for, for Canary Wharf? What's, have you, have you noticed more than what I'm, what I'm saying? Or? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's actually uh, that's fiction, not fact. Mm -hmm. If you talk to all the major customers here in terms of what the impact has been for all these folks for Brexit has been a non-event for us. Minimal, minimal jobs have gone to the continent from when you talk to all the banks that you mentioned here. Sock Chen has moved here. ERBD has moved here. So the Brexit effect, I think, is a lot of, you know, chatter rather than reality. Okay. So for, for, for in terms of jobs moving from London and going to the continent. So you've sort of weathered that. Absolutely. That, yeah. that situation. And do you see a, a place, maybe it's in London, or maybe it is on the continent, that is sort of a competitor to Canary Wharf, as in you're sort of that you're sort of vying for for those tenants, as in, do you, do you see Canary Wharf having sort of competition? I think our job is to create this extraordinary environment. And if we can create that extraordinary environment and pick things from the best people, like the idea of the river walk and, uh, and access to the boardwalk was actually from visits with Copenhagen and Chicago. Mm -hmm. I, ironically, the three C's, Copenhagen, Can Chicago, and Canary Wharf, but seeing what we can do that. The, the paddle boarding that you can see that where we got the idea from, from Los Angeles. So it's picking these things. And the beauty that we have is we have the scale of this entire state to be able to play with and to bring in great partners like the Eden Project in here to kind of say, hey, if they're the leader in biodiversity, how do we make the urban environment and nature and people work together and partnering with best-in-class partners to be able to do that? It sounds to me, Shelby, like there's not a cloud in the sky but is that is that really no? It's not a cloud. Look, you're, we're obviously in. in um, um, I like this analogy I heard from a colleague that you know we're on the beach and we see the storm clouds coming, and we don't know if that's you know a three foot wave or is a tsunami. We know some stuff's coming in there and how long the duration is. But we've got obviously some turbulence in the market. But my analogy is gravity: control what you can control. And so, sure, we'll have some headwinds in there. But you know we've got you know do what you can with what you've got and, and be able to weather the storm um, because it is cyclical business. You will have demand and supply uh, ebb and flow, but real estate is you know, fundamentally about demand and supply. Mm. And I guess I'm sort of curious as well as there's an awful lot of, of things happening geopolitically, Ukraine, um, what's going on in China in terms of the COVID policies that they have. Do you see uh, sort of you attracting people like that that are kind of kind of coming to London, do you see that? Or And Sterling is obviously at a very a cheap level now. It is, it is cheaper in some ways if you're, not, if you're not borrowing to buy in London. Is that something that you, you think you'll benefit from? Uh, it's a mixed message because I think um, we've got developments. We, we do sell some residential flats, so we've got a, a development in South Bank. I don't mm -hmm. know if you're familiar with that, where we've got flats next to the London Eye. We've built a mixed-use project there. 
Um, there we've got some really high, high price flats. Um, you're not seeing the effect right now because those buyers typically don't use interest rates leverage for that. Um, where you might have the effect in the starter level. So somewhere, you know, we're not selling homes in that range, but if you had something in the 250 to maybe 750, maybe even up to a million, you might start getting that impact because of higher rates. So I think it depends on what segmentation you're in. But for us, the residential, the way we're playing is the rental market where we're not being affected. Now, um, the operating fundamentals, both on retail, office and residential are fairly strong, right? The A segmentation, again, there's not a lot of supply and there's decent demand right now. To your point, will this deterioration potentially curtail demand to be determined? Right now, um, we haven't seen it. Okay. And Canary Wharf as a group, how? what are your debt levels like? What What is that situation like for you? Are you, again, concerned about that? Because obviously, if you have a situation where the value of your properties goes down, the price of leverage goes up, that that can sometimes create problems. Yeah, no, we're a little, slightly under 50% um, leveraged. And so, you know, we don't have anything restrictive in terms of, you know, major covenant breaches or debt rolling and so forth like that. So, and then obviously we're, we're backed by two of the greatest uh, institutional investors in the world. And so I think, you know, it's times like this when hopefully there will be some opportunities to take advantage of. And those those two uh, investors you're talking about are Qatar and Brookfield, isn't Correct, right? yeah. yeah. Qatar Investment Authority and Brookfield. Yes, absolutely. I suppose the other thing I'm sort of curious about is, and you mentioned it earlier, is sustainability. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of big buildings. We're sitting in one of them. The lights are all on. Um, the lights aren't on, on. They're all they're all, <laughs> they're they're all, all sensitized. Sens- they're sensitized. all sensitized. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. This is it. I mean, in lots of buildings in this city, there's... The lights are typically on. They're typically on even at night. I just kind of was curious, what is sort of your thoughts on how these buildings are going to be, um, how, how you're going to get electricity in these buildings in, let's say, five years' time? So Great. first of all, what is, it, what is it now in terms of your sort of, I guess, the carbon intensity of these buildings? What kind of do you imagine it will be? Great question. So um, the good news is our buildings are not older than 30 years right, since Canary Wharf. So we've built fairly new buildings. Um, we have gone through them and kind of upgraded them. And so whether you're upgrading the mechanical venting, the lighting and making sure you got LED and sensitizing and so forth like that so they can switch on, we've actually reduced our carbon footprint pretty dramatically over the last three, four years. And we've got a goal of net zero by 2030. And what is that dramatic fall? What, what does it fall I think it's, uh, I got to get you to the exact step, but it's roughly about 30%. Okay. What we've done, and this is part of the company's DNA, is we've been recycling since 2009. We've been buying green energy since 2012. Uh, and we're constantly looking for innovation. So example is we don't send, we send everything to recycling. We used to do that by truck. Last year, the team's constantly thinking and innovated and they said, the Thames is right there. We should send it by barge. So in addition to taking the truck traffic off to take it to the recycling, we've taken it by the Thames and it's actually cost us less. So we're constantly looking at ways to innovate. And I, as I mentioned earlier, we're the largest sustainable developer, um, Bream Outstanding, where SockGen and ERBD went into Bream Outstanding building. The next buildings that we're building will be Bream Outstanding. The other thing, to your point about in the future, we've signed a PPA, a Purchase Power Agreement, to buy energy off a wind farm that will be built in Scotland. And so that will come on in 2026. And it will be a huge benefit for our customers that will have locked in uh, energy prices that are dramatically low. We did this a year ago. 
that are dramatically lower than they are today. The bad news is we have to wait until 2026 to have this wind farm uh, come online. And will that be enough electricity for Canary Wharf as the, the whole estate will, yes. be, will be powered by? For, 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 for the buildings that, remember, stepping back, Canary Wharf now is 17 million square feet of office. We only own about 7 million. Okay. So for that 7 million, for the common areas and all that stuff, yes. You know, this, there's other buildings that are owned by owners, users themselves, and third-party owners as well. Absolutely. So, I mean, the, the future of Canary Wharf then, yeah, I think the plan that I remember talking to you about before was about, it was going to be about 30% residential. Is that still your sort of forecast? Yeah, hopefully we can get to that maybe a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, we've like I said, we've got the three BTRs and we've got another eight under construction right now. And we, we'll see, you know, where the market is in four or five years because we still have lots of opportunity to develop even more. So in that five-year period, let's say, what can you imagine Canary Wharf will look like? So you mentioned a lot of kind of tech companies are, you know, so interesting at the moment. Mind you, they're going through their own problems. Uh, but what would the, what will the tenants look like? Will it still be 50% banks, do you think? Do you think that there will be a different mix? Yeah, no, the mix will be lower because we're attracting other tenants here. But I, 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 you're focusing on the office. I'm stepping back and saying, what's the environment like? And that environment will be a truly extraordinary mixed-use environment where not only do you have people that work here, but that live here and they come and play here. And with all these amenity bases, like I didn't mention we have an, a hotel that just opened, the first hotel on the estate that opened, Tribe Hotel, which is a Hockenden brand. They opened August 1st, bringing that kind of thing. Deshoom is opening here in, in November. Um, Fair Game, which is a kind of a electronic gamifying of, of the old fairgrounds, is opening uh, next week. So uh, just imagine that, that those docks are there. People are paddleboarding here. People are using the water, using the greenery. We've got over 20 acres of greenery already. So you've got this extraordinary neighborhood that as you think about sustainability and climate change, that it will hopefully be a prototype of this is how urban environments work with nature and people's well-being, mental health is improved because they're in this kind of environment. Yes. Well, I mean, those brands that you talk about um, are definitely things that people like. They like. They love going to Dishoom. They love go going to nice gyms. But I suppose the tension, I suppose, that I'm sort of alluding to is that this is all happening amid a sort of cost of living crisis at, at the same time. And do you think that your tenants are sort of at the sort of upper end or the people who are coming here just won't be as impacted by that? Is that yeah, yeah, no, I got a good question. So, so I'll take the residential, uh, so even the retail and the residential, we're bringing in concepts that, you know, um, on the retail, like a Greg's is here. So it's, we're, the whole point is to provide something for everybody. The rental product that I mentioned, round figures, that's around 50 pounds a foot in rent, which is pretty expensive, right? The next, we've got intermediate housing here now. You can uh, uh, rent a property or suite there if you make under 60,000 pounds as a household, right? So your teacher, policeman, your graduate coming in, even a PA that's you know starting out, they can live there. Every suite's got a balcony overlooking the Thames or a park, right? The next wave that we're building is going to be priced in the low 40s price per square foot from a rental basis. So the idea, again, is breaking that perception that Canary Wharf is full of bankers. It's not. We've got a vibrant community, and we've got affordable housing here now. We've built a school that will have a primary school here. It's, again, creating that neighborhood to have a 24-7 mixed-use neighborhood that I think will attract lots of different price points. So wherever you are in your socioeconomic career, we've got a home for you. 
Wow. Very interesting, Shelby. Well, thank you very much for your time today. My pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for visiting, and uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll take you a little tour of the estate. Lovely. Lovely. Okay. Thanks, Shelby. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Katrina Hanlon in Hong Kong. Subscribe to The Exchange and our sister podcast, The Views Room, on a cast, megaphone, or wherever you like to listen. Check out our latest views on these stories and many others at breakingviews.com and on Twitter, where our handle is at breakingviews.